This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. I had a, a woman say to me recently, she was about in her 80s, and she said, I need help with this. I have three sets of china, I have three sons, and none of their wives want any of the china. How do I make them take it? And I was like, will you? No, they have to take it. I was like, they don't. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. We call it Llama. I'm Peter Bose. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, a recurring theme on this podcast is simplicity, leading an uncomplicated life to optimise our chances of getting to a ripe old age. And one of the challenges that I think we all face sooner or later is how to unravel the clutter of modern life, the clutter of family life or a successful career. And especially when that day comes that downsizing is really important to us, that it is perhaps the only option. Perhaps we've lost a life partner or the children have finally left home and there isn't really any need to have that five-bedroomed home full of stuff that, frankly, no one will ever look at or even think about Again, decluttering our lives physically and mentally as we get older has been shown to have a huge benefit to all of us. And who knows, perhaps it could help us live longer and healthier. My guest is Tracy McCubbin. Tracy is a decluttering expert and the author of the forthcoming book, The Clutter Code. Tracy, it's great to see you. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Let's start with a, a definition. What is clutter? So clutter, I like to call it, clutter is the stuff that gets in the way of what you want to really be doing. So if you want to have dinner on your dining room table, but it's too covered with mail and something you need to return, if you'd like to park your car in the garage, but you can't fit it in there because there's too much stuff, or you'd like to get ready with ease in the morning, but the closet is so overflowed and stuffed to the gills with stuff that you can't do that, that's what clutter is. And is it also, as I kind of indicated there, the stuff that might be in the back of a, a cupboard, we maybe don't see it every day. But we know it's there. And frankly, we know we don't need it and and probably won't care if anyone looks at it again. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it's cumulative. And and when you talk about sort of living a life and, you know, being at a further down the road and having an accumulation, um, it is the stuff that's built up behind it. I recently went to Louisville to help a family who's the matriarch of the family had passed and they were going through all this stuff. And, you know, her husband had died very early on. So she spent a significant portion of her life as a single widow and, you know, had a housekeeper and a staff and lived in this big giant house. And everyone kept saying, oh, well, she kept this, these papers. She kept these notes. She kept these things because they were so important to her. And I said, well, no, actually, she probably kept them because she didn't have to get rid of them. You know, there was no one else living in the house with her, and she had a housekeeper that would tidy them up and shove them in a drawer. So no, one, nothing was forcing her to get rid of it, and it, that was 
the importance that it held or didn't hold. Well, we're going to talk about all those issues I mentioned, especially when it comes to crunch decision time and really how to to get over that and then to take action. Just first of all, though, I'm interested how you actually got into this in in the first place. How did you develop this expertise? (laughs) It's a funny roundabout story in a way. You know, that sort of all roads lead you somewhere. Um, I had spent a lot of years as a personal assistant. And before that, I had done bookkeeping work and helped run small businesses. And um, because I had been an assistant and I'd done secretarial work at, and uh, I just – I sort of had a lot of problem-solving skills and people would – you know, friends of the people I was assisting would say, oh, I got this weird project and I'm stuck and I need some help and I don't know who to turn to. And I started doing side jobs where I would literally help people manage and wade through their stuff. If it was paperwork from a failed business or cleaning out at, you know, a home of someone who passed away. And then it just started to snowball. And all of a sudden I was getting more and more calls. And a friend of mine was like, I think this is a business. And I was like, what? I just a thing I do. And I came up with a name and hung a sign out, so to speak. And it's been 11 years and 1,400 jobs later. And it's, you know, it's been great. And another piece of the puzzle is I am the child of a hoarder. My father is an extreme hoarder. So you've seen this at first time. Yeah. And I also come from, um, I, I'm a on half of my family, a third generation Californian. And my grandmother, that generation, was immigrants from Scotland who lived through two wars, three three wars, World War One, World War II, a lot of wars, to say the least. <laughs> so I also saw, and were Depression era kids, so I also saw a historical relationship to stuff because of the Depression, because of rationing during the war, because of um, being immigrants, you know, also then being farmers. So I've, I've seen how a lot of cultural things can come into play. So do you think as we've moved on and, and times have changed and perhaps we don't instinctively feel like we need to save things and to hoard things, is it therefore easier now if you have the right mindset uh, not to be a hoarder and to be have a simpler Life? You know, it's interesting. It's easy. It's easier in some ways, but it's also much more difficult. It's easier in the way that things don't have the importance that you're like, well, if this breaks, I have to fix it because it's the only one I have. But it's become harder because we accumulate so much faster with the, you know, with this, you know, crazy consumption of cheap consumer goods. You know, in the same way that the food industry changed with the advent of prepared and packaged food, obesity went on the rise. I see a direct correlation between the the advent of cheap consumer goods and homes being stuffed. I mean, I ordered a hard drive for my computer the other day at 11 in the morning, and it was to me by four, and I didn't leave my house. Did you need it? I did need it. Right. So that's a, <laughs> I a, needed a good it. example of, of it working to our advantage. Exactly. But it is so much easier to con- accumulate, which is really interesting. Which generation do you think most needs your services? Do you Have you seen since the years you've been doing this that a, a certain generation will gravitate towards needing help? Or is it across the board? It's really across the board. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, I would say my business is probably split into thirds. You know, a third is 60 and over who are looking to downsize or looking to stay in their homes and be able to be safe and comfortable in their homes. Then I do have definitely a third of kind of young families starting out their life and trying to manage the onslaught of stuff. Um, And then I do have a lot of millennials. I have a lot of millennials who have never – 
kind of learned how to organize uh, and then are also dealing with their parents and their grandparents. So it, it really is, it affects all of us. So talking about, and I started by saying there's going to come a point, I think for all of us, if it hasn't already, that sort of crunch point when you it dawns on you. There's a realization that you have so much clutter, whether it's seen or unseen, that you really have to do something about it. And it could be that you're downsizing. Perhaps you've lost a partner or you just realize you don't need the rooms in, in your house anymore. Where do you start? It, that's such a great question. And oftentimes, uh, you know, I'm definitely called in when the crunch time is, you know, you know, Grandpa Ellis fell and we've got to move him into a home and we've got to sell the house to get him in there. But also what I'm seeing more and more of people sort of in their late 50s or early 60s that are like, you know, in the next 10 years, I want to move to a condo or I want to, but I don't know how to get from here to there. So, you know, one of the things, one of the first things that I tell people If at all possible, and this tends to be in a perfect world, but, you know, the sooner you kind of know what's coming next for you, like, okay, I know I want to move to Seattle to be closer to my kids and grandkids, and that means I'm going to get a 1,200-square-foot apartment. If you can kind of create a vision of where you're going, that's going to make the process easier. Because if you – it's always difficult when people are like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I might need this. I might not need this. But if you have a – plan and a path, it makes it much easier. And I would have thought for the vast majority of us, that path is fairly clear from midlife, that Mm -hmm. you will eventually one day Mm -hmm. downsize. Absolutely. And perhaps you will have fewer people around you and that you might need to contemplate a fairly, not necessarily without friends, but a relatively solitary existence in your own home Mm -hmm. and that you will need to make things easier. Definitely. And also this idea of, you know, I really, I think it's incredibly honorable and kind and people feel really good about it of sort of dealing with their own mess, so to speak. You know, it's, it's, I just get phone calls all the time where people are like, I just don't want to leave this for my kids. I don't want to leave this for my grandkids. You know, so to make those decisions that, you know, this isn't important or this is important, to really be proactive. And, you know, it's interesting. They say a lot that the people that are the the people that are the happiest when they move to retirement communities or senior living communities are the ones who are very, very involved in the decision, right? That I, this is what I want to do. I want to go live in Jimmy Buffett land in Delray, Florida. I'm saving my – this is the plan – they embrace that next chapter as opposed to the ones who are sort of forced there. And I see that with people's downsizing and decluttering. The ones that are like, this is what I want to do. I want to move to an apartment this size, so I want to make this decision for myself. So another reason to predict what is going to happen so that you can be involved. And as you say, you're not leaving it to the next generation, to your children. What sort of problems does that create in terms of the decision making when it is left to someone else and a a close member of the family? Oh, it's just a can of worms. It's a whole Megillah, as I like to say. You know, there's this whole thought of what is important to me may not be important to the generation below it. And, you know, I mean, it's just this interesting thing, for instance, that we're seeing with furniture right now. You know, the antique styles of furniture, nobody wants them anymore. I mean, mid-century is about the only collectible things. You know, furniture was built in a way that we don't use it anymore. It's big. It's heavy. It's, you know, so what's happening is people are realizing that their furniture – first of all, let me say this. Furniture is a diminishing asset. It is not an investment. You buy it to use it and love it, so you are not going to make your money back. So what happens is people – 
you know, are looking to downsize and they're like, but this chest, this chest of drawers has been in our family for 50 years. And the kids are like, okay, well, I got five of them. Like, my house is full. Or maybe the kids are saying, yeah, I never really liked it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I had a, a woman say to me recently, she was about in her 80s, and she said, she, I was speaking to a group of women, and she raised her hand, and she said, I need help with this. I have three sets of china, and I only had, I had three sons, and none of their wives want any of the china. How do I make them take it? And I was like, well, you – no, they have to take it. And I was like, they don't, you know. And I and one of the things that I tell people in this process is you have to respect what people want and don't want. And then I also tell the kids, sometimes you have to take stuff you don't want, put it in the trunk of your car and get rid of it later. Yeah, quietly get rid of it Yeah, later. sometimes, you know. So it is really about respecting. And also the really neat thing about – Doing this process not at crunch time, you know, not when you're panicked, but then you can, you can, you know, say, hey, here's the history of this piece. You know, you've always said you wanted it. If you don't want it, son, cousin Irma wants it. That you can really, you know, kind of spread the stuff around and also really talk about the family history. And one way I think that a modern way of life and certainly the technology that we have at our disposal can help is with those things, and I've certainly found this, which can be copied Mm -hmm. digitally. You Mm -hmm. still have them, but the the bricks and mortar, as it were, you, you can actually discard. And obviously, the obvious one is, is photographs, but there are other things as well. You can just take a copy of it, uh, whether it's a little ID card you once had and you, you treasured uh, for a time and you used it every day. And you want to remember the positive side of uh, having that little bit of property. But a digital copy, for me at least, will do the job. It's so interesting. I had a client who came across her journals that she took from sort of end of high school to her 30s. And she was reading through them and she was like, ugh, I'm so so boring and full of myself. But what was important to her was dates and like, oh, I went to Morocco this year and I stayed here. And so she took her journals and went through them and then on a digital calendar just dated. And that's what she wanted to know, the timeline. And I thought that was such a great use of technology and memories. That actually sounds like a fun project. Yeah, it was really cool and charted. And I'm sure I bet you could do something. I was thinking, I bet you could do something on Evernote or something where you could include photos and really make it a, a cool project. Yeah, I think actually I believe there's a, an Evernote app with it essentially is a calendar. You mm-hmm. can, and you can do that. And yeah. You sort of fill in. It's interesting, isn't it? You, you look back on your life and then you find documentation to kind of back up your memories or you can sit them alongside photographs from the the same time. But how often you, you'd forgotten which year it was that you went to Morocco or New Zealand or that, that, right. that trip of a lifetime. Often you can misjudge it by five or ten years. And it, it is actually quite nice just as a, a mental device to, to go through that and, and to be able to digitally remember it but not keep all the clutter associated with it. I think that it's um, – I think the thing, the thing about stuff – is, you know, besides the fact that it's a tool, it's a chair we sit on, a table we eat at, it's it sparks memories, right? It's a it's a talisman or it's a something that sparks a memory. And that's what we really want, right? We want to know the touchstones of our life. Because memories are good. Memories keep the brain active. Yes, but our memories aren't so good. <laughs> so that's the great thing about having a photograph of it is that you can remember. Um, I, my One of my best friends in the world, we met our junior year abroad in Italy, and she was moving out of her house in San Francisco, so I went up to help her pack, and she had this giant lateral file cabinet. I was like, what is in here? You Like, we got to get this down. 
but she found in it her travel journal, and she found the entry of the day we met. Like literally September, blah, 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 on our way to Forte de Marmi, met this cool girl from California, and we both took a picture of it. And what a great, like you said, like now, you know, we know exactly the day we met and it takes us right back there. And that's yeah. where technology is so fantastic. I don't think you can underestimate the value of that. No. Of, of being able to recall those great times in your life. No. But perhaps recall it in a more efficient way. Yeah. And then, and also to, I think, um, what did somebody say to me recently in in middle age that the days are long and the years are short? And for me, I don't have kids, so I don't have the marker of watching children grow up in, in my own life. But to have a, like an anniversary date with my best friend and to say, oh, wow, we met 32 years ago. We met 33 years ago. And it gives – for me, it gives our friendship such a depth that, that to know how long it's existed. And that for me is – that is the importance of stuff. Right. That's the importance of remembering it. Another thing I said uh, introducing you was that uh, there does seem to be some evidence that living a a decluttered lifestyle can actually be scientifically proven to be beneficial to us in terms of our longevity. Completely. I work with I get a phone call all the time from people like early stages of Alzheimer's or starting to have some neurological um, and Every one of them doctors have said, neurologists have said, declutter, declutter, declutter. If it's Parkinson's, declutter. Make your life as simple as possible because then you focus your brain on the important things. So get rid of all the extraneous stuff. Put your keys in the same place. Like, And I've seen it help people stay in their homes longer. Let's just dive into that a little bit more because I think this is the real useful, fascinating area. You talk about keeping your keys in the in the same place. It, it is such a it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? But it, it's so simple, yet so many people don't do it. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, what I always say, your your keys should be in your purse or your bag or on the front entry hallway. And, you know, the the brain is limited. And as it gets older, you you know, your capacities get a bit diminished. So just take all that stuff off the you know, off the table. I always wondered, like, I remember my grandmother lived to be 101. And she basically kind of for the last five years of her life ate the same three meals. And I think when I look back now, I think, oh, those were just decisions she didn't want to make anymore. You know, she'd eaten all the food in the world, so she was fine with a piece of toast and a poached egg. That, and that's a little, little bit like some people I know who actually wear the same clothes, not the same physical clothes every day, but they look oh. the same. They'll buy six black shirts or yeah, blue yeah, shirts yeah. or whatever, six pairs of blue jeans. They always look the same. They're well presented, but it takes the decision making right. out of them. Well, brain. have you, and this fits into exactly what we're talking about, and I don't know if you've read it about this all, but there's something called decision fatigue where they've done all these studies where the the more the part of the brain that makes and some doctor is going to write me a scathing email because I'm going to get this wrong, but basically oversimplified the part of the brain that makes decisions gets tired fast and then it reverts to making bad decisions. So it's why you wake up in the morning and you're like, today will be a steamed broccoli grilled chicken day and then by the, at 11 o'clock at night you're eating pepperoni pizza. <laughs> so you know, Taking decisions off your plate, wearing the same clothes, but that's clutter is 
decision making. Well, I think there's there's some good evidence of some uh, the highest achievers, and you look at the Silicon Valley, the big CEO names who will often brag about the fact that I'll not mention any of the individuals, but they're well known for wearing the same T-shirt. Or... I mean, Obama, you know, when he was president, he was wore I, wore black, gray, and white. And he said he did not make that decision. And he said, every bite of food that went in my mouth, my wife chose for me because he was like, I just don't have the bandwidth. So, you know, in terms of kind of aging and longevity and staying like just take those take those decisions off your plate. And the thing about clutter is, you know, I always say that clutter is a constant to do list. You know, you walk in and you see that pile of mail on your kitchen counter and your kind of throat tightens up and you're like, I have to deal with that. I've got to make a decision about where this lives. So even if you're talking about the the current state of things, but then you look at a garage or a storage unit or a closet with stuff you haven't seen, you know in the back of your head it's there. Yeah, and and how you also know how good you feel once you've dealt with it. And yes. once that pile of mail, that those bills to pay, the accounts, or whatever it happens to be, once it disappears, and I, I'm, personally, I'm very much in favour of the of the clean desk approach. Mm-hmm. Some people mm-hmm. argue that they can't be creative unless the desk is is stacked high of stuff. I have I this is no in no way scientific, but you know, I hear from people. I know where everything on my desk is, and I'm like, okay, then find it, find X thing, and you know, it takes them an hour. But they're like, see, I knew where it was, and I was like, well, you just dug through piles. That's not knowing where something is. So I think that it's just kind of taking that stuff off. And, it, you know, it's interesting. They say your 30s are, you know, your 30s are your accumulation years. And for me, my clients in the, my 40s, they start to see it, especially as their kids get older. But really, once the kids are older, once they hit their 50s, they just, they just don't need stuff in the same way. And I was reading, I was reading something about debt, personal financial debt. And um, they just kind of the effects of it, and and I see a lot of times my clients who are very cluttered carry a lot of personal debt because they're buying things that they can't afford. And um, but one of the things that they they that this study was saying is that people very very n- almost never regret experiences, never regret spending money on experiences, but almost always their regret in spending is on stuff. How interesting. So we've talked about the value of perhaps having way fewer clothes than you would think or you might have already. I think the key, especially certain people, actually making that decision as to which clothes to get rid of and to Mm. fine tune that wardrobe is is one of the most difficult. I know, but it isn't. You wear 20% of your clothes 80% of the time. I mean, the sim- the if you know, if you're a person who needs proof, what I tell people is turn everything on your hangers backwards so that you know, your your cl- I'm, I'm acting it out and realizing no one can see, but you know, every your buttons face one way. Turn everything backwards and then when you actually wear something, put it in the closet the correct way. Go for a month and see how much of your stuff you really wear. Yeah, that's that's the equivalent for me of putting the shirts at the end that I repeatedly wear three or four times Uh a week. And then it's the same shirts the next week and the next week and the next week. And you realize all the others clumped up at the end are the ones you don't touch. (laughs) Right. And and it just makes kind of getting – it just – I think – so much information is coming at us and so much stuff is going on that all those things that you can simplify are just make everything a lot easier. As you've gone on this journey and learned a lot about this, have you, I know you initially developed your own personal interest in this, but have you learned things from your clients that you now apply to yourself? 
I have. You know, I have learned a lot of things. I've actually um, – I mean, I'm, I'm a very social person anyways, but uh, I have learned the value of keeping up friendships and keeping up personal relationships and um, especially as you look to aging. And, and again, I said this, you know, I don't have kids. So I, I speak often at the Gay and Lesbian Senior Center and when the first time I spoke there, I thought the conversation was going to really be about all these people who are seniors now who didn't have children and were very afraid of dying alone. But what was interesting is they had created communities. They had created communities within themselves. They had nieces and nephews. They had mentored people. They that wasn't the that wasn't the significant thing for them. The significant thing for this community was. They had all this history about the life they'd lived and they needed it to go somewhere, you know, that they, you know, for 70 years had been in the closet and had been communicating with secret newsletters. And they that was what was important to them, which I thought was fascinating. So one of the big things for me is really those relationships are important. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. And you raise another issue there of, and, and people sometimes talk about decluttering their social circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps that we sometimes have too many, in inverted commas, friends that mm-hmm. we can actually deal with and that we should perhaps surround ourselves with a tighter but closer circle. I think so. And I, and I, and I see the people who um, – I see my older clients who do who, that, who have – I have a client who's still – her daughters are – she's a grandmother now, so her daughter's in their late 30s. And she's still friends with the same 10 women that were in the mom's group when the, their first daughters were born. And this is, you know, 40 years of friendship and they still see each other once a month. And, you know, their husbands are starting to pass away and it, – it, it, that the history does matter. And that's the interesting thing for me because I show up and people always say, you're going to make me throw everything away and just get rid of it and none of it matters. And, and that's a bit of my issue with the minimalist movement, that there is there is no respect for history. There is no respect for what came before. Just get rid of it all. So I, I think that um, – I think that you have to take – that's why we want the stuff, right? We want the memories and we want the feelings and we want all of that. And you have to take that history into account. But I think that people are really realizing that it's the friendship. I suppose uh, social media, Facebook in particular, has brought a whole new dialogue to this, defriending people that (laughs) you no longer want to associate with. It's a difficult problem. It's a difficult issue for some people to disassociate themselves with other people who they've had a relationship. But perhaps they are, to use this phrase, toxic friends. Mm -hmm. They're actually not doing huge amount of good for you, for your psyche. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, I think you have to look at, you know, and one of the, I I see this with clients a lot too, especially my clients who have shopping problems and spending problems, is they, when they declutter and when they really take stock of how much money they've spent and 
technically wasted, you know, clothes they've never worn, they tend to do a little bit of an inventory and see the people that support that kind of lifestyle that are the ones that will go shopping with them or the ones that, you know, support the overspending. And I think that's I think that's a way to declutter. Yeah. And what do they say? You are the average of the five people you associate yourself with most. At oh, least I've, I've heard that said. I've never heard that. Oh, that's interesting. If you think about it, and some of the, so I suppose the, the moral of, the, of that story is surround yourself with good people who you admire and perhaps would like to take the qualities of, of some and be the sum of the best. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. I, when I heard that, it just made me think. And of course, you immediately think of who you yeah, see. Yeah, I was like, most, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, like oh, my, my friends are great. <laughs> so, so you're writing the book now. Correct. And it's out at the beginning of next year. Spring 2019. Yeah. How's that going? It's good. It's really, um, it's been a very interesting process of taking what is so instinctual inside of me and, and I just do, um, and and translating it to the page so that people get the feeling that they're working with me. It's about the seven. It's in my years of work, I've uh, figured out that there are seven emotional blocks to letting go of our stuff. So it really delves into all of those. And you know, for instance, I, I don't want to talk about all of them because oh, I want well, people to buy just, the book. Let's quickly run through the seven. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. but the big the one in terms of this is living in the past. That's a big block that people live in the past. That they, you know, with um, for instance. People are downsizing and they realize they're moving to a smaller home and they realize, oh, I'm not going to host Christmas again or I'm not going to host Passover again. You know, do I need all these entertaining dishes? And they take them with them without realizing that they're not, you know, what I used to always do that. I've always done that in the past, but it's not serving them in the future. And that's a really interesting process to watch people go through. And do you have, in terms of your own aging process and your own longevity, this is a question I ask. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not aging. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, maybe you're the first. I know. I should. I <laughs> we have an exclusive here. But as you age and we all look to the future, do you have aspirations? Do you have a, a number in mind? Is that something that you think about? And do you imagine what kind of life you'll be having in 20 or 30 years' time? It's It's very interesting. I don't have a number in mind, but I do – Two things. I do have um, a real goal in physical health. Um, I've had some issue, body issues because of working so hard. And so I'm working with someone. And when he, what he said to me, he said, you need to take care of this stuff now or your 60s and 70s are going to be awful. So doing a lot of work about that so that I can stay physical as long as possible. And then because I, again, don't have children and the the bulk of my my closest circle of friends, most of us don't have children. So we're all starting to have a conversation of like, hey, do we look to Ventura? Do we look to North San Diego County? Do we look to buying some near each other or in a place together? And we're really starting to have a serious conversation about that. So you're, you're looking to, not only to the, the bricks and mortar of your home, but mm-hmm. who you will surround yourself with and perhaps even planning that with a, a group of people. Yeah. And just for people listening outside of, well, outside of California, you're talking about cities on the edge of, of Los Angeles, yeah. but obviously much cheaper. You can buy, if you want to, you can buy more for your money. And they're a little just quieter, more yeah. genteel sort of places. Yeah, and it's an interesting conversation to have with people. And I'm, I am 
pleasantly, amazingly surprised at how many of our friends are starting to say, like, we really need to think about this. You know, I don't Los Angeles to me seems like a very difficult city to age in. So that's been that's kind of my goal is all right, the next fifteen years, where am I gonna settle? Who's gonna be around it? Um and that's been really interesting. And it's I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. It's not something I dread. I'm like, oh, I could live in La Jolla. Or, I mean, not La Jolla, but somewhere lovely. And La Jolla near San Diego is yes. beautiful. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's expensive, though. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but so to think about that, and, and again, and I, to go back to your earlier question about what I learned from my clients, especially in the aging and downsizing, is the more proactive and involved they are in that decision-making for themselves, the easier it is. You know, that they're not sort of being ripped out of their home, but they're like, we plan for this and we're super excited to move to Tucson or, you know, something. And that's been a really great thing to see. We should do another interview in 20 years' time to see, <laughs> see where you are. Well, hopefully you and I are sitting by a beach somewhere. That would be nice. <laughs> How do we get in touch with you? How do we follow your work in social uh, media? Absolutely. So I'm, um, I'm on Facebook as Tracy McCubbin. I have a, actually a fantastic Facebook group called Conquer Your Clutter with Tracy McCubbin for people who have a little bit more of an issue. It's a private group and we kind of work through some things. I have I have a daily, I have challenges. So we're coming up with a challenge starting June 11th where I email a little decluttering tip every day in your inbox for 10 or 15 days, which is great. People are, people love those. And then I'm on Twitter at Tracy underscore McCubbin and Instagram if you love a before and after, Tracy <laughs> underscore McCubbin, but I'm pretty active on social media. I will put all of those details into the show notes Excellent. for this episode. Tracy, it's really been good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you'll find us, the Llama Podcast, at llamapodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. You can review us, you can rate us at Apple Podcasts. It's hugely helpful as we move the podcast forward. You can check us out on social media, Llama Podcast, at Llama Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Ruud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibers that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.